Well, this morning, if you uh, have a Bible, we're going to be all over the place this morning, so I don't have a particular text uh, that we're going to start in this morning. But the message is entitled Declaring Independence, and, and we don't normally do a topical message uh, in our church. Usually we take a, a text and we just expose the text as God has shown us through his Bible, and we go verse by verse. But this morning, with the 4th of July, Independence Day being on a Sunday, uh, I would be remiss to not just take a moment and talk about some of the beginnings of our country uh, and the biblical influences behind that, as well as the parallels that we see in Christianity. I think there's an interesting connection uh, but because of some of the things that we experience in this country and some of the blessings and liberties we experience, there is a great parallel uh, to what we see in Christianity in a relationship with Christ. And so this morning, uh, we are celebrating 245 years of independence as a nation. What's interesting is we always celebrate that on July 4th. Uh, the original Declaration of Independence was on July 4th, 17, 1776. It's when the 13 original colonies of our country declared their independence from Great Britain and from King George III. And, and they were already involved, if you don't know the history, they were already involved in the Revolutionary War for about a year. That started in 1775. And, and so, uh, basically, there was opposition to Great Britain's taxation policies, uh, lack of colonial representation, you know, the whole taxes, taxation without representation thing, Boston Tea Party, all that stuff ties in together. But there were also issues concerning human rights and human equality that ultimately led to, to the colonizers of this country breaking free from their British uh, rule and, and British king and authority. And so this declaration from the 13 colonies, they regarded themselves as 13 independent sovereign states no longer under British rule. And with the declaration, these new states took a collective step forward in forming what we now know and enjoy as the United States of America. The truth is we need to know our history. We need to know where we come from. Uh, and, I, and I think previous generations probably know it a lot better than, than, than some of us now. We would do well uh, to get our nose uh, in the history books. And, and there is a revisionist form of history being written right now that's even trying to erase uh, some of the founding principles upon which this country was founded. But let, let me assure you, uh, as you saw in the, the video clip, many of the men that were a part of the founding fathers, so to speak, of this nation and the writers and that had input on the Declaration of Independence and those early people involved in government, most of them were Christians. They weren't religionists. There were some that certainly were not Christians, of course. None of them were perfect men either. There's only one perfect man, and it's Jesus Christ. But these men, through their walk with God and, and through an understanding of biblical authority, sought something that was greater than what they were a part of and understood that there was true evil in this world and, and wanted to do something about it. And so what's interesting is you study history. July 4th is the day that we actually celebrate uh, our independence, but really on July 2nd, that's the date that the vote from the Second Continental Congress actually occurred. And it was a unanimous vote declaring their independence, and then two days later, it was proclaimed and published on July 4th, 1776. Uh, I've got a quote on the screen. John Adams said this, one of the, one of the early uh, patriots and, and instrumentalists in this process. He says, I'm apt to believe that Independence Day will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as 
the day of deliverance, that's really strong wording. The day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade and with shows and games and sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illumination from one end of its continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. I think he understood the significance of what was happening historically. And so, and so included in the Declaration of Independence, by the way, how many of you have ever read I'm not trying to shame anybody, but man, listen, if you've never read the Declaration of Independence, man, this weekend, today, tomorrow, take some time, go online, find it, and read it. Uh, It it includes some of the greatest human writings that have ever been written, one of which statements, and, and let me just say this, the Declaration of Independence is not inspired by God, it's not scripture, it's not authoritative, I'm not saying any of those things, but what I am saying is, listen, one of the greatest and some of the greatest wordings concerning humanity and liberty and equality are found in this document. Uh, the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence has this statement, and many of you know this statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Listen, that is strong wording. It's not scripture, but man, there's power in those words. It it was a declaration made to create equality and equal rights for every person. It wasn't intended for only a certain sect of people. It didn't say these are the rights of Englishmen or the rights of Frenchmen or the rights of Native Americans. It's the rights of all men. It's an equality among us. And, And that statement has been called by many historians as one of the best-known sentences in the English language, containing the most potent and consequential words in American history. Words matter. And and so listen, again, this, this is not an inspired statement from the scriptures, but I'm just telling you that our founding fathers understood that God was the creator, he is God Almighty, and they understood that humanity is all equal before a holy God. And they also understood that amongst each other, there is the value of human life. There was value of human life, something that our country has, has sadly moved away from. In, in our policies and in our government, we, we no longer value the things that our, our, our founding fathers valued and this country was founded upon. And, and let me just say this, listen, we as the United States of America, we are not a Christian nation Because biblically, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. But it is a nation full of believers in Jesus Christ. And and as much as I'm proud to be an American, and I am, uh, listen, I'm more proud to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And and we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about the parallels between our independence and biblical Christianity. Because God has just placed some very interesting similarities between the two, what we experience in our country, which is like no other country in the world. And if you don't believe that statement, get on the airplane with me, and I'll prove it to you. Because as soon as we land in any other country, you're going to realize we're not in Kansas anymore. We're not in America anymore. The, the freedoms and the liberties and the, the, the rights that we experience, it is because of just something very, very special that God has allowed for a certain time and for a certain purpose in his eternal plan, and I think that's really important. 
And so, you know, what's interesting is we always celebrate the, the Declaration of Independence, but can I just tell you, when that declaration was made on July 4th, 1776, that wasn't the end of it. In other words, those 13 original colonies and all the people that signed that Declaration of Independence, once they signed that, that wasn't the end of the process. Actually, what happened was there was, there was a continuation of the Revolutionary War. And that war continued on for eight years total up until 1783. And, uh, and then, of course, after that, you find historically there were constitutional congressional meetings. Uh, there was a constitution that was drafted and approved in 1789. The Bill of Rights came in 1791. And, man, listen, that is the foundation of our, of our nation. And we ought to know those things. We ought to, we ought to spend some time in the history books and, and understand kind of where we started and, and what this thing's really all about. And, and I don't want to bore you with the history, but we need to know it. It's not boring at all when you realize that God has a hand in all things, as we'll see in the, in the lesson. So this morning, I wanted to just challenge us on Independence Day. What can we learn from our nation's history? What can we learn? What can God teach us from our nation's humble beginnings? And what parallels can we see between what we celebrate today and biblical Christianity, because I think there are some parallels. And, and here's the first point if you want to take some notes. By the way, I didn't give you any blanks today. Actually, I gave you a lot of blanks today, if you noticed in the notes. You got so many blanks today, you can just write down whatever you want to write down. Normally, we have like keywords that you fill in, but I thought, you know, you need to work a little bit and flex your muscles a little bit. Number one, we need to learn today on Independence Day that freedom comes with a price. Freedom comes with a price. Now, historically, freedom has always cost something. You know, the word has free in it, but I, I guarantee you it has a cost. And listen, as we study the early beginnings of our country, there, there were a group of men who were willing to lay down their lives, their honor, their hopes, their dreams to be set free from the grip of a tyrannical empire and king in hopes of equality and freedom for all men. And, and again, that's something that preceding generations of Americans know very well, but, but sadly, this present generation and upcoming generations of our country, we, they really don't understand what it cost for us to have the liberties and the freedoms that we have, so much so that they're willing almost to give them away. They don't understand what it cost to be the country that we have become, because nothing is ever truly free, and that includes freedom. Nothing is ever free. Even a gift that's given to someone else costs something. If you give someone a gift and it's free to them, you as the giver of the gift purchase that. And so the fact that our nation declared its independence from Britain, just because they signed a document declaring their independence, that didn't make them free. What made them free was the price they paid. And the price they paid for our freedom was they shed their blood. They laid down their life. They were willing to fight for the freedom that they believed in. If you go back and study the Revolutionary War throughout the, the course of the war, there was almost 7,000 Americans killed in action. You say, well, that's a really no, low number, but please understand there's only 13 colonies at this point in America. 7,000 Americans were killed in action. 6,000 were wounded. Upwards of 20,000 were taken prisoner. Historians believe that at least another 17,000 deaths were the result, not of war, but of disease, including eight to 12,000 who died as prisoners of war. 
And man, listen, that, those are just numbers to you unless that's somebody that you know and love. And then it becomes very real because freedom has a cost. And listen, the truth is that Revolutionary War was just the first of many wars in our country's very brief history, 245 years. And I'm telling you that every single war demands a cost. Freedom demands a cost. Many, many lives would be given to continue to secure what we come to know as freedom and liberty in this great nation. There's a reason that the rest of the world wants to get here. There's a reason that every other country and every other person in this world wants to get to this country because it's like no other country. And so I want you to understand that our freedom as a, as a nation came with a tremendous price. And the parallel for us is in, in biblical Christianity, spiritual freedom is never free. It's never free. As a matter of fact, spiritually, spiritually speaking, we aren't under the control of some evil king or a dictator or some uh, horrible governmental system, but we are under the bondage of our sin. And listen, we're, we're under the control and influence of the devil, the God of this world. As a matter of fact, he has all of humanity, not just Americans, in the bondage of sin. Let me, let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible tells us that there is a God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not." lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And, and again, the parallel is very simple, man. The 13 colonies were under oppression and opposition and persecution from a, a British empire. Man, spiritually speaking, we're all under bondage in our sin, under the, the God of this world who blinds us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't just declare your independence from your sin. There had to be a price that was paid. There had to be provision that was made on your behalf. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible tells us that that devil snares us in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You see, because of sin and because of the devil, there is no freedom. There is no liberty. Because there is no Spirit of the Lord, like we sang this morning. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and there's liberty. But listen, in our sin, there's none of that because, because spiritual freedom from sin, well, it has, to, it has to be paid for. And see, the truth is, in our, in our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, listen, we, we, we are a part of a great country where people are willing to lay down their life, willingly, for our freedom. There's people in this room that have served in the military for many, many years, and, and they were willing to, if, if need be and called upon, to lay down their life to ensure the freedom and liberty that we have. Can I just tell you, that paints a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. That paints a beautiful picture of what Christ... And not every country has that parallel. Do you understand? We, we even in our nation's beginnings, get to see a snapshot a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
You see, the freedom from our sin, the liberty in Christ comes from a payment. There was a price that was paid, and it was the spilt blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for our sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19, 19 and 20 says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and ye have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There was a price that had to be paid. And again, man, it's easy for us to sit in a country and enjoy the freedom and the liberty that we have and not understand that over the course of history, the last 250 years, people have willingly laid their life down to ensure, with, with the price of blood, to ensure what we enjoy today. And even so more, Jesus Christ has made us free through his shed blood. You see, just like your freedom as an American came with great cost, your freedom spiritually from the bondage of sin comes at great cost. God says that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that God himself shed his own blood. Paul writes, and Paul's speaking to the elders at Ephesus, and he says in Acts 20 and verse 28, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Listen, which he, which God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. It's God's blood. It's God's blood that makes us free from our sin. And I think most of you know that. If you're born again today, you understand. You understand that freedom was free to you. Salvation is a gift, but somebody had to pay the price. And truthfully, your shed blood, my shed blood, as it relates to sin, is not enough. It's not enough to forgive us. It's not enough to, to make us right before God. It had to be God's perfect, sinless blood, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So number one, freedom has a great price. Number two, as we see the parallel through our history, freedom is granted through a birth. Freedom is granted through a birth. And, and this is another unique characteristic of our nation that, that not too many countries, not too many nations on this earth have this privilege. Literally, your freedom as an American comes through birth. Listen, I know that there are other ways uh, that you can become an American citizen. I know that you can go through the immigration process or be naturalized. I understand all that. But listen, the fact that you are born on this soil in this country makes you a citizen. And because of that, you enjoy all the freedoms and the liberty and the privileges that are afforded to you and granted to you and guaranteed to you by the Constitution of the United States. All you have to do is be born here and you're in. Can I just tell you, a child that is born in U.S. waters on a boat gain automatic citizenship. If a child is born on a plane... God help that mother. <laughs> but if they are in U.S. airspace, that child is an American citizen with all the rights and privileges guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States immediately applied to their life. You see, that's called just solely. In other words, and I've got a map on the screen, uh, this map represents where uh, if, if you're born in these nations in kind of the yellow or the orange, you are granted immediate citizenship in that nation. And, and it is very interesting that most of that is in the Western Hemisphere. It's the Americas, right? That's where it's at. 
And those other countries, you have to be a citizen by blood. In other words, your parent uh, or parents both have to be citizens of those countries. Even if you're born in those other countries in blue or in red, it doesn't guarantee your citizenship. It, it depends on the bloodline of your parents. And it's very interesting to me that freedom in our country is granted through a birth. That's a rare thing. It's a very rare thing. And you know that, that, that the same parallel is true, spiritually speaking. You see, your freedom from sin and the liberty and freedom in Christ, it doesn't automatically happen in your life because of your mom and dad. It's not passed on through blood relationship. My dad's a Christian. My mom's a Christian. So I'm automatically a Christian. I'm a believer in Christ. No, that's not the way it works. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. And, and listen, when you're born again, when you receive Christ, when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, God says that you're born again into his family. You're born again into freedom. Let me look at uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And see, the Bible teaches that when you believe the gospel by faith, there's something amazing that happens, a birth. God says you're born again. You're born again at the moment that you believe in the gospel for your salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So what that means is, listen, you're a citizen of this country if you got born on this soil anywhere, or in our airspace, or in our waterways, okay? You, you can have citizenship, and, and, and freedom comes through a birth. But spiritual freedom only comes through a birth. In other words, the only way in to a right relationship with God, the only way to be forgiven of your sin, the only way to experience the liberty and freedom that Christ has for you, is to be born. There's no other process in place. There's not an immigration process. You can't pay a bunch of money to somehow become a Christian. You can't ride the coattails of your parents' faith. It has to be you. First John chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him and, and, and uh, loveth him that begot loveth him and, and also that is begotten of him. And I'll spit it out in just a second. I had, had enough, enough coffee this morning. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is, the born, is born of God. And so freedom comes through a birth. And you've got to ask yourself the question, am I born again? And if you list off anything that you've done other than believe in Christ for your salvation, you're not born again. Well, I joined this church. That doesn't make you born again. I got baptized. That doesn't make you born again. I give tithes every week. That doesn't make you born again. My daddy's the pastor. That doesn't make you born again. And until you experience the new birth yourself, you're not free. You're not in freedom. You're not experiencing the freedom from sin that Christ offers. It is interesting how those two parallel in our nation and in the Bible. Freedom comes with a birth. Number three. Freedom comes with citizenship. Freedom comes with citizenship. 
And I think this is very interesting. You know, we read that quote earlier uh, from the Declaration of Independence. Let me just read it again. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so God tells us that as an American, God tells us, the Constitution tells us, that as American citizens, we have liberty, we have rights, we have equality, and we have freedom that we enjoy as a citizen of this country like nowhere else on this planet. We can't even do what we're doing this morning in a lot of other countries on this planet. Can I just tell you? Corporately gathering, freedom to worship God, sing aloud, preach his word. Are you kidding? You need to get out a minute because this is not the norm. We, we have certain rights and privileges as an American. And listen, because we are citizens of the, this great nation, many of you know this, citizenship has requirements. And, and again, let me just, you know, I said in the last point that the way you become a citizen is that you're born. Um, you're born on this soil. You're born in our, our waters or in the airspace. But you can also become a citizen, at least let me break the picture for a second. You can become a citizen through a process. And, and there is a process to naturalization or a process of citizenship that even people in our church have, have gone through and experienced, and it's really, really cool. Let me list some of the requirements to become a citizen. Number one, you've got to apply for naturalization to become a citizen. Uh, you've got to be 18 years of old when you file the application. Uh, you've got to be a lawful resident uh, for the past three or five years depending on which category you're doing. Uh, you got to have a continuous residence and physical presence in the U.S. you got to be able to read, write, and speak basic English. This one's very interesting. You have to demonstrate good moral character. That's a requirement for citizenship. Demonstrate good moral character. You have to demonstrate a knowledge and understanding of U.S. history and governments. That would probably disqualify most of us in the room. You must demonstrate a loyalty to the principles of the U.S. Constitution. Well, that would disqualify probably most of our congressmen and women. You must be willing to take the oath of allegiance to this nation. You want to, you want to become a citizen to this nation. There are responsibilities required and and maybe those in our communities, but also those in government, should take a hard look at that list to make sure that they are abiding by that themselves. It's easy to be born here and forget what's required as a citizen of this great nation. Along came, after the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And, and those Bill of Rights were, were added, obviously, to the, the Constitution. Those amendments were added. Uh, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the rights of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's the First Amendment. You need to know that. That's a requirement. That's a responsibility of government. That's a responsibility as a citizen, but it's also a responsibility of the government itself. It, it ensures our rights. That really got challenged last year, didn't it? Didn't it? Well, if you don't know that, you don't know if it got challenged or not. But we have a document that tells us that we have the freedom to peacefully assemble and that Congress can't make a law against it. 
The Second Amendment, a, a, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free, straight, free state, the right of the people to keep and to bear arms shall not be infringed upon. Again, Bill of Rights, these are, these are our, our privileges, but also our responsibilities. We have a responsibility as citizens of this nation to be good citizens. And our government has a responsibility to be a good government, according to the Constitution, according to the Bill of Rights, okay? What's interesting is, when you became a citizen of this, when you were born into this country, and you became a citizen of this country, those responsibilities were automatically passed upon you. The requirement for citizenship and what your role and allegiance to this nation, you got it at birth. Now, if you don't like it, they sell plane tickets every day. <laughs> and you can, you can go wherever you would like to submit to whatever government you would like to submit to. But this is the government that, that God has allowed to be in place in this country. A lot of people bellyache about it, but, you know, Romans 13 is in the Bible for a reason. Parallel this to our Christianity. When you were born again spiritually, God says you became a citizen, but not of this country and not of this world. Actually, you became a fellow citizen. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 19, you became fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, you're no more strangers and foreigners to God, but you're fellow citizens with the saints of God and the household of God. In other words, when you became born again as a believer in Christ, your citizenship changed. And you became part of a country that has a king. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you became a citizen of that country. Oh, and by the way, all of the responsibilities required in that kingdom got passed on to you at birth. And if you're a born-again believer... You have a responsibility to be a good citizen, not, a, not just a good citizen of this country or whatever country you're in, but you've got a responsibility to be a good citizen before the Lord. Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16 says this, all these died in faith. Hebrews 11, the famous chapter on faith, says all these died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And listen, we live in the, the, probably the greatest nation, at least at this time on this planet right now. I don't think there is a greater nation. But there's a country that we are to look for as children of God that's greater than this. Verse 15, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country... From whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But then they now desire a better country. That is, listen, and heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And I'm telling you right now, just as much as you are American and you're called to be a good citizen by virtue and by calling as a, as a citizen of this great country, if you are born again, God has called you into citizenship, into a heavenly country. And what God is looking for is faithfulness. What God is looking for. You know, the problem is, and let me just say it, and this will make some of you mad, but that's okay. You can skip the picnic. The problem is, sometimes we become better Americans than we do Christians. 
We're more patriotic than we are faithful to Christ. Now, let me just say this. You'll never become the American and the patriot that you should be until you become the Christian you should be. Because you'll never serve this country biblically until you serve Christ biblically. And so if you're a better citizen of the United States than you are a citizen of heaven, well, God help you, man. God help you. Because you're part of a kingdom. God's given you a citizenship. God's given you responsibility. Oh, and by the way, he's given you a constitution of the kingdom. And here's all your rights and responsibilities and privileges. And let me give you a, a, a Cliff Notes version. You don't have any rights other than to submit yourself to Christ. You can leave your rights at the front door as it relates to the gospel. We're called to be good citizens of heaven. God, God's called us to a mission. God's called us to a purpose. And man, we would scoff our, our nose at, at Americans that trash our flag and trash our country and trash the Constitution and trash the Bill of Rights. Man, we would get upset with that. And we should. But at the same time, man, as a Christian, don't have the same attitude toward Christ. God's called you to, to faithfulness as a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. That's what we're looking for. There is a better country than even America. It's much better. It pales in comparison. Which is the last point. Let's get to this last point and we'll, we'll go eat some lunch here in a second. All right. The last point is this. Freedom has a purpose. Freedom has a purpose. You know, the birth, the birth of our nation is nothing new in the sense that if you study history, nations rise and fall. Any, any brief study of history will show you that the United States, in comparison, is a very young country. 245 years, man. We, let's just be honest. We're the young guy on the block, you know. We're, we're the young lady on the block, man. There, there are nations that have been in existence for thousands of years, hundreds and thousands of years. So, so the point is, every time God raises up a nation or God brings down a nation, you need to understand that God has ultimately a purpose in that. This nation is a great country. It's a tremendous nation. I believe, personally, God has blessed it and God has used it for his purposes. Job chapter 12, verse 23 says this, he, God, increaseth the nations. And he also what? He destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations, and he straighteneth them again. In other words, you'll never, you'll never be able to separate this nation or any other nation from God's ultimate plan and purpose in this universe and God's ultimate plan and purpose on this earth. God has a purpose God has a plan that is in work. And listen, nations on this earth are a part of that. God himself increases nations. He destroys them. Proverbs 21 and verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And so listen, when you look at the Bible, I'm going to park my patriotism for just a second. But when you look at the Bible, concerning the Bible... There's one nation in particular that God really holds in high standing, and you already know what it is. It's the nation of who? It's the nation of Israel. And listen, God views nations biblically, this is really simple, as the nation of Israel 
and everybody else. You want to get a good principle of Bible study, it's Israel and Gentile nations. That's the way God looks at all nations in the Bible. And, and so listen, it is interesting as we study Israel, it's worth noting specifically God raised up the nation of Israel for a very specific purpose. He said in Isaiah 66 and verse 8, I don't think it's on the screen, but, but he says this, Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Shall a nation be born at once? For as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And we know historically that, that the nation of Israel really at their exodus from Egypt was, was birthed, was born. Exodus 4 and verse 22, God, God calls Israel his firstborn son. He calls him his son, his firstborn son. So that nation of people were called out by God for a very specific purpose. And the purpose was to bring God's glory through the whole world. That's why that nation came into being. That's why that nation existed. God ultimately wanted to use the nation of Israel to de declare God's glory throughout, throughout the entire world. And ultimately, even in the New Testament, God wanted the nation of Israel to be the ones preaching the gospel to the entire world. So for God's glory and for the gospel's sake, that's the purpose. That was the purpose of the nation of Israel. We know in the Bible that didn't work out so well for them. They rejected Christ as a nation. We see that in the book of Acts. God went a different route. He, he brought Jew and Gentile together in this thing called the church. But God still raises up and brings down nations because God's bigger than, than even what we can understand, man. His purpose is greater. But I'm telling you, his purpose is for his glory and for the gospel's sake. So look at Psalm 33 and verse 12. The Bible says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Now listen, I understand doctrinally that's dealing with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has God as their Lord, and they are his chosen people for an inheritance. Doctrinally, I understand that. But I'm just telling you, there's something special about any nation that would say, God is our Lord. That would, in their beginnings, decree in their documents, we are under God Almighty, the Creator. We are Christians living out by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moving. This is how our nation began. It was a nation whose God is the Lord. That's how this nation started. And because of that, the first part of that verse has been applied to this nation, at least to this point. We've been blessed. We've been blessed. And it's not because of us, and it's not because of our intelligence, and it's not because of our money. It's because we positioned ourselves under God Almighty. One nation under God. Not equal with God and not above God. If you don't believe me, let's get on a plane and go to some nations that declared we hate God or God does not exist. Let's go to an atheistic nation back in the 1980s like Albania, Eastern Europe, who, who constituted in their government, God is not real. We are an atheistic nation. Well, when you step off the plane in that country, there's one thing you'll, you'll not see. You'll not see the blessing of God in that country. It was falling apart. It was horrible. 
And so, and so we have, have been blessed in this nation because it started with the right attitude that, look, we don't replace the nation of Israel. God has a plan for, for the nation of Israel. God has a purpose for the nation of Israel. But I'm telling you, God has, for whatever reason, in his sovereignty, allowed this nation to come into existence. And I believe it's because of verse 12, because it's a nation who said from the beginning, God is our Lord. And, and I'm telling you, our purpose as a nation, at least for the last couple hundred years, we're, we're starting to tail off now. We were all about God's glory, and as a nation, we were all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The number of missionaries and the, number, the, the amount of money and the number of people sent from this country to, to the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God is unbelievable. When you study that historically, it is absolutely unbelievable. But I say that we're tapering off because we've, we've forgotten where we started. We've forgotten our humble beginnings. We've forgotten who we serve as a nation. And again, man, there is no such thing as a Christian nation. But I want you to understand that your freedom, your freedom is, is for a purpose. And in this country, we have a purpose. But can I just tell you, in your life, if you're born again, if God set you free, God has a purpose for your life too. And God's purpose for your life is to bring God glory and to take the gospel to the world. That's the purpose. That's the reason he set you free. It wasn't just to enjoy the, the benefits of freedom and liberty in Christ. And that is a wonderful thing. But God saved you. He made you free to serve him. And we need to take the, the, world, we need to take the gospel to the world. We need to get busy glorifying God with what we've been given. And so in closing, man, listen, I, I hope that you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today. Uh, there's some interesting parallels as we study our country's history. Uh, there's some interesting parallels that come back to biblical uh, typology. Ultimately, you can experience true freedom in Christ. We live in a unique nation, man. Not every nation is like this. And I'm telling you, there are people in China, there are people in other communistic countries that will never experience the political freedom that you and I experience, but they still have freedom in Christ. They're still free. They have liberty and freedom in Christ. And, and let me encourage us as Americans, if we won't be about God's purposes now when it's easy, we probably won't be about it when it gets hard. It's time to get about his purpose and glorify God and get the gospel of the world. All right, let's pray. I got one more announcement when I get done, and then we'll dismiss.